You're listening to the Green Majority Radio Show. If you would like to support our program, you appreciate our work, there's a way to do it for as little as a dollar a month. You can become a member and help us expand our programming as well as get us better equipment. And right now, my goal is actually to hopefully hire a part-time person to help produce the show that will improve the quality of our research and our interviews, as well as help our promotion as well uh, by getting out there and doing some social media, etc. for us. Uh, any of those things, you can become a member and tell us which one of those is most important to you, you think would be the best use of your money. You have to be a member to do it, though. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Darren Kaster, uh, and uh, I'm sitting in studio with Stefan Hossetter again. How are you doing? And uh, we also have uh, uh, Alex Ricci as our tech today. He'll be joining us for our music break a little bit later. We're syndicating live uh, from CIUT studio here in Toronto on Friday, October the 7th, of course, uh, syndicated nationally. So you might be listening to this on uh, any day of the week. Any day is a good day to hear from the Green Majority. Exactly. And if you're on the podcast, you might be listening to us any time at all. Yeah, that's, it could be four in the morning. It could be, in the, it could be thousands of years in the future. Oh, that's so cool. All right, let's geek out on the bonus show. We'll save that, <laughs> we'll save that for the bonus show. Uh, Stefan, no, we have a, a pretty packed show today, so we're going uh, to have to keep the fluff to a minimum. Mm-hmm. We're going to be speaking to uh, CBC uh, or uh, 291 Films director uh, Ian Taves today. He's the director of a new documentary, Bugs on the Menu. We're going to be discussing a little bit of the uh, the science, the nutrition, and the economics of replacing protein in people's diet at a large scale with bugs. Now, this might mean uh, cricket skewers, or this might simply mean, you know, grind and drowned, uh, uh, dried and ground beetles and bugs and stuff like that in powders and flowers and all sorts of things. The, some people may find it gross. The bottom line is, though, is, is it's extremely sustainable and extremely nutritious. So Ian is going to walk us through uh, what are the actual arguments for this type of uh, thing besides sort of the neat factor. What are the environmental arguments for it? And then this is already a, uh, a, a growing industry. Sort of where are we? How is the progress going? Stuff like that. So we'll be talking to Ian about that in about 15 minutes. But with the other two sections of the show being the first and the last, we're basically only talking about two things this week. It's the only two things that I feel like we should be talking about this week, which is the Paris Climate Accord and the carbon tax. So Stefan is going to take point on the beginning of the show. It's going to lead more of a newsy type section. Uh, and then I have uh, sort of my thoughts on all that uh, in, a, in a little segment I have at the end. So Stefan, why don't you lead us off from there? Yeah, thank you. Uh, of course, you said the word tax, which... Uh... Yes, of course. That was part of the news. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, uh, I mean a price on carbon. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Uh, that, so that uh, so of course the the first piece of news uh, is that there is now a carbon floor, a price on carbon floor uh, that the Trudeau government has announced that all provinces must find some way to implement. They have not said how you must do it. Just that there must be a price on carbon, and it must be at least ten dollars a ton by twenty eighteen. Uh, and I, I kind of want to take a step back. Uh, and, and, and look at the larger picture, uh, partially because the Jays uh, yesterday won 10-1 uh, against the Rangers. Absolutely dredged them. Uh, it was excellent. And 
it, and the Jays being back in the playoffs made me think of something, uh, which was specifically a that I got to actually tell you a baseball score on this on the show, uh, which is uh, always fun for me. Uh, but that's, also, that's your goal every week. Oh yeah, yeah. find a way to mention baseball. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm doing half decently recently, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm appreciating it. Uh, but yeah, so the so what it made me realize is I remember so Jays currently uh, are in the first round uh, against the Texas Rangers. Uh, and it may sound like a deja vu because exactly one year ago, in actually two days, so tomorrow, uh, 25th, October 8th, 2015, the Jays began their first round playoff series against the Texas Rangers. Uh, and, 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 what's, and in this monumental week of all this environmental news, I want, I, I want to take, a, take, take this little let's play the year ago game. Uh, and so one year ago, you may be, I remember watching, uh, watching these games and – Justin Trudeau's face was in every single ad during the playoffs last year. It didn't matter whose ad uh, ads it was. There's this fantastic little f- side story of how a liberal staffer really early on in the campaign realized the Jays would probably make the playoffs and bought a ton of airtime on Sportsnet uh, when it was cheap. And then <laughs> months later, the conservatives realized that might also be a case and then bought airtime on Sportsnet for dramatically more. Mm. Uh, and But be- because of the way both ads worked, you like the conservatives showed Justin Trudeau's face, the liberals showed Justin Trudeau's face, and then it was back to baseball. You, it was just wall to wall Trudeau. And I remember, and if you had told me uh, one year ago uh, that at that moment Canada would have ratified a global agreement uh, that had an aspirational target of 1.5 degrees warming, uh, which happened two days ago, uh, with over 200 federal MPs voting in Parliament to ratify the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, and if you had told me that the federal government would be using its power to push for a national price on carbon, uh, which again also just happened, uh, with the so we went Trudeau announced his pitch for a carbon price floor, which is ten dollars per ton by twenty eighteen, and it's to ramp up to fifty dollars a ton by twenty twenty three. I would have been I would have been thrilled. Uh, and then to top on that, the fact that Ontario, Quebec, BC, and Alberta, all of the biggest uh, economies in Canada, already would basically have implemented something that would get them to that floor already. So they wouldn't even be – so this is a, a very rare time for the actual provinces to be able to, to sort of get on board with this kind of move. Uh, now, of course, there has been a uh, – all the politics are still being played. Alberta still has to be unhappy about it. Notley has said – I believe Notley has come out and said uh, that they would – that there should be no price on carbon from a federal level unless they get a pipeline, which is – Defeats the purpose. Like uh, uh, you know, two weeks ago we did a whole. I did a whole segment on, on what the climate math says about whether or not we can actually do any put any more infrastructure into this. Uh, let it, so the idea of like, well, we'll take a ten dollar price on carbon if you build us a massive let's do a massive infrastructure on oil is you know backwards. I guess you can say. Uh, but what, all this to say that a year ago me w- would be thrilled, and I think we have to acknowledge that and accept that and, and understand that the. Amount of progress that has happened in the last year, despite all of the other setbacks, despite all of the other things that have gone wrong, uh, is phenomenal. You know, it's 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 amazing to remember that it was just last December that the Paris climate deal got negotiated. You know, it was in the spring that Ontario announced its actions, beginning its actions on the price on carbon, uh, and now to have a sort of a national option and also and also having the Paris climate Court actually come into effect, that's all really big news. But at the same time, we sort of know everyone knew there was a butt coming. Uh, <laughs> the same time, uh, $10 by 2018 
is a far cry from what all science says we need. Yeah. Most economists right now are putting us at maybe 50 to 200. Currently, uh, you know, if, because I also, we also have to find a way to, you know, say that these Scandinavian countries have figured things out every show as well. Um, although I do love, I, I gotta say, I love Hillary Clinton's line of saying that, that <laughs> when she said a whole bunch of people who live, are forced to live in their parents' basements want to world in Scandinavia but doesn't fully understand what that means. Um, as far as a, as far as, it was a much nicer time, how she said it, but it was, I feel like living in Scandinavia, once you get there, you know, it's also $70 for a hamburger. Uh, but Sweden has a $168 price per ton on carbon right now, highest in the world, and we're fighting over 10 Yeah. 10 um, Well, we all know, Stefan, that the, the, all those Scandinavian countries are bankrupt and they have very st- poor standards of living. Oh, wait, they're all higher than ours. <laughs> Well, not necessarily high, no, but they're 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 doing nothing, fine. Nothing to complain about. Yeah, they're exactly. Fine. And you know, to be fair, you know, Norway's rich off oil, which we could be, but we squandered yeah, it because they saved all their money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, that's all. But so we're literally looking at right now. We have a price. We're fighting over a price of ten dollars. Ten dollars when we need fifty to two hundred to reduce the amount uh, below warming. Um, and I think. Like what I felt like for the last like three years, like and again I will acknowledge actually no first year. Let's be clear. I will acknowledge that two years, one year ago me, two years ago, three years ago me felt like we were just going nowhere, nothing was happening. So this is an improvement to how I felt then. Uh, what I felt like in the last year is that we are taking the policies that needed to be taken in 1990. Hmm. We are we are very very ahead of the we're we're, we're right on target for 1990 policies. Uh, for 2016 policies, uh, it, it's just we're not even close, mm-hmm. and and I, I think that's what, what what I keep coming back to whenever I sort of think and talk about this sort of thing is how how to manage that, how to manage the fact that. Uh, our middle of the road policies, our centrist policies, um, or would be understood as centrist policies, uh, are so so inadequate. Hmm. Uh, so, and like you know, like I've I've repeatedly on the show said that we have to support our victories. We have to we have to celebrate our victories, or else no one will try to you know, or else the politicians won't pander any pander to environmentalists and won't give us anything. Uh, so we have to celebrate this. But at the same time, how do we balance those two things? Um, and like, and so what I've come to is I basically just think we can't rely on politics to act, act fast enough. That's it. I think we just cannot rely on politics to act fast enough, uh, which is why all of the sort of all the ground, uh, all, all the all the I'll call it direct democracy uh, of blockading these uh, projects uh, in you know whether it's in North Dakota or it's in it's in BC uh, or anywhere it happens is so important. But I think there's a secondary thing we need to start doing, which is understanding and actually building the infrastructure of a low carbon economy uh, ourselves we need like that's like we need to make it so, so that the government that we're already living the world that we want the government to help us create mm. um and and so like I, we harp on the tool library a lot uh for the you know their leadership in the sharing economy space uh and We've recently seen an explosion in trading all across uh, Toronto and in many other places. I know Buns is probably the best well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you not in Toronto, Buns is a trading network here with tens of thousands of people who are literally the only rule is that you can't trade money. Uh, and so people are trading, you know, it's all these different things. <laughs> a coworker showed up with a bunch of wood yesterday and they're like, they're giving away for free on buns. I think I'll make something out of it. I was like, okay. Uh, one of my, one of my coworkers traded some clothes for MetroPass. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is that like and these are the and you know these are the the things that you're able to do uh and and these are the things that actually you know are reducing consumption because that's the ultimate thing. I was sitting I uh, I was sitting with my uh with my mom uh who has been an, is, is a big part of my my environmentalist upbringing. Uh and she was sort of lamenting at the fact that she's like no look we've won so many other things. You know, we've successfully stopped acid rain. We've closed the ozone layer. Uh or we've you know in some ways not fully but we've we're getting better on that. Um we can why can't we solve this one and it came down to like you can still consume with we, you know hfcs to CFC, cfc's to hfcs allowed us to still consume as much as we were doing uh stopping acid rain still allowed us to consume as much as we were doing it's this it's and we've said it um, all the time but the idea that consumption at the is at the heart of this climate crisis is the problem uh, and what makes it so diff- what makes it so difficult? Uh, but there are all these things that we're doing. We are doing a bunch of really cool things. You know, we have the organizations like Co Power, which is working to find ways to fund green energy. Uh, you know, Buns, as I mentioned, storage technology is getting really cool. You know, there's a gigantic balloon in the middle of Lake Ontario that stores energy over, over like, and then it, it spends it over the during the day. It's like this. It's it, there's these all these cool little things that are happening. Um, and like you know, we've been building better and better buildings as we go along. And the urbanists are winning. You know, bike lane battles everywhere. Like, look at the bike lanes on Bloor. You know, it's a test thing that they have to figure out if it works or not. But they're not anyone, going anywhere. <laughs> if anyone has been on Bloor, you you have to understand how much better it is. Um, and and anyone who sort of understands, who's experienced good biking infrastructure, knows how addictive it becomes. Yeah, you know, it's uh, just really briefly interject as yeah. the Bloor is part of my daily commute. Uh, there is no more traffic. Like the amount of traffic with a reduced, uh, you've added a bike lane on either side of the street. It's already an extremely major street in Toronto. If you haven't been to Toronto, if you're not familiar, it's one of the main corridors through the city. Not necessarily from a transportation point of view. It's not like a, a highway through downtown yeah. or anything, but it's it's the, one of the major streets with a lot of that's generally been congested. Uh, I've seen it been no more congested or less so since the addition of of bikers, and now it's carrying you know several hundred more people an hour uh, and- along its length. Even yeah. though you've added capacity to the same physical amount of space, yeah, it's and, it, and it's made it's made it's made driving make more sense there too, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so the, the point of all this is actually to say that uh, it's 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 something we've been saying a lot. But I think and, I, and, I, and I've been sort of I've been I've been literally teasing this I think for the entire year. But I'm going to do it, everyone. <laughs> uh, is that I'm saying, but by saying it on air, I have to do it, which is which is why uh, which is why I'm part of why I'm doing this. Um, which is that for the next couple of weeks, probably I'm going to try. My goal is to at least to the end of the year, uh, each show I'm going to bring something to be a part of uh, this piece, ongoing piece called Plan to Win, mm. uh, which is something we've been harping on for a while. Which is about the different ways environmentalists or or no, even if they don't know necessarily the environmentalists, but the different ways environmentalists known or unknown, uh, are actually working to reduce consumption, solve climate change, and build a low-carbon future underneath the current slow-moving political engine uh, is, what gonna, is what I'm going to cover, at least one per show from here on out. Um, so if you have anything you'd like me to cover on this segment, let me know. Tweet at me at, at steho, S-T-E-H-O underscore, mm-hmm. uh, or send an email to the Green Majority uh, or myself, and oh, we'll surely get it because yep. I'm looking for great ideas, and I want to promote them as much as I can. Uh, but to get back to the news, uh, Darren, you have some great quotes from the uh, <laughs> from uh, from from some people about uh, about why this carbon floor might be a you know might be a good idea. Yeah, so it's funny. I, I want to make a really quick comment about it. We've got about three minutes, so I've got one or two just great quotes that are finally. It seems like maybe I don't know if uh, people uh, high up in the uh, the, uh, the the decision making, the the executive branches of the, the current 
federal government have been listening to the green majority and maybe taking my advice finally. Um, but it sure seems like it. <laughs> if not, someone similar to to me has been advising them because uh, uh, McKenna has been out uh, dropping elbows, political elbows. And this is the sort of thing I like to see. So we'll get to that in a second, but just really fast on that other thing. One of the things I was thinking about, too, is that, <clears throat> you know, there's all this kerfuffle about, and of course, you were making a joking reference to the fact that uh, Trudeau, quote unquote, slipped and said the word tax, uh, to which there's a from all the folks in, in the side that just, has comments. so ludicrous. And then, but the, the fact that they would like, oh my God, you said the word, that's not a word you're allowed to say. But then also the fact that he like, he didn't have the backbone that he had, that he corrected himself. Right. It's like, just. Okay, we'll get to that. That's all part of my that's all part of my political review that will be coming up at the end of the show. Stefan's been talking about what happened. Mm. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, sort of my interpretation of the political optics at the end of the program. Uh, but as a quick tease for that, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to pay a little bit more. This is the whole thing. I don't want to pay a little bit more um, because sure, it might be important, but you know, it's going to hurt me more. The net the net impact is that I'm going to lose stuff. Mm. Um, okay, well, that's just it. Just it's not even really an argument. I just find it really confusing uh, until I sort of I find it confusing, except for one possible conclusion: why uh, people have this attitude, and it's because like, okay, well, th- what are th- think you know, Canadians generally speaking, and of course, there's ignorant people in every country, and Canada is no exception, but. Generally speaking, it's very, it was very prideful of Canada. It was very much out of national pride that we accepted a large amount of refugees. I think we could have done better, but there was a very much of there was very much patriotism attached to those uh, announcements, uh, and will be going forward. Uh, Canada's role as a peacekeeper. These are all things that cost us money, and but we decide that this is it's it doesn't matter. The cost is not relevant. Uh, that it is simply the thing to do. It is Canada's way that this is the type of actor we are in the world, and that's one of my favorite things about Canada. Mm. Uh, we're not the best at it, but the fact that that's part of our national identity is part of the reason I love being a Canadian. It's something. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing, and it's a yeah. real thing. And I, there's yeah. not, I, I don't intend for there to be a hint of sarcasm in my right. voice, just in case it's because it's so constant I have to let people know. There's no sarcasm <laughs> in my voice there at all today. So when we come to down to, well, I don't want to pay a little bit more for my gasoline, and this is going to put me out of house and home and all this stuff – uh, I don't understand the difference with the exception of one thing, which is that down deep down, I think very many Canadians, even though they say they do really don't actually accept it. And I don't even necessarily mean mm. like consciously, like they're lying that they, that they don't actually believe in climate change and they're lying that they do. I think it's a little bit more basic than that. It, there, there still hasn't been a way to connect it to them in a personal way. And that this has not allowed it to sort of filter into the into the subconscious mind, where it's like, okay, well, yeah, I I, I conceptually agree that this is true, but it, but at an emotional level and at an impact level, I don't consider it the same thing, and it's because I, I don't think they really do accept it as a real thing, or it doesn't have quite the same impact. And we can we could discuss for a while what that is, but I just I wish to point out to this from those folks, if there are some of those folks listening who think you know we can't afford to do this, or you know I shouldn't have to pay for it. Um, you know, think about it. think about it for a little bit. Well, you know, are, are you know if you're just you know if you're anti you know any sort of peacekeeping force in the world, if you're a total isolationist and you don't want to take any refugees, um, then you know what I have some pretty severe political disagreements with you. <laughs> but at least you're being ideologically consistent, right? And you know, good for you. Uh, but if you're someone who does take pride in Canada's role in the world and does think that we have an important role to play as a as a global actor and that we should be engaging with the with the the world on a on a global level and as a as a global partner. Um, why are you making an exception for this one thing? 
I just, I just ask you. I don't think that I'm, I'm not. That's not a like checkmate. I've got you. Right. But just, I, I honestly, I ask you. Think about it. Uh, so here's that. We'll we'll close this section on the quote because we're running a minute over time now. Because this was great. This is something that Catherine McKenna said, who's the environment minister, the climate change minister. And I was like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> what you have to do. Politically slap people in the face. Use humor, but be unapologetic about it. So this is so. This is something also. So this is uh, uh, Catherine McKenna. Uh, quote: After a decade of failure by the Harper government, it's meeting in meeting its commitments to Canadians, she said after noting the conservative side previous support for cap and trade, I guess it's only, the only conservative plan now is to cap all the things they've said and trade it for no plan at all. <laughs> Zing. Now, there's better comedians out there. But as far as politics goes, that's what I like to see. Yeah. Right? You got to you play rough. You got to play for keeps. And when she's least, not even being rude. It's just like, it's, it's, I'm just shocked that they're like standing their ground for once because I'm just really unused to this type of language, which has any sort of backbone in it whatsoever. And I wish to applaud uh, the, the minister and the government for, for developing a backbone in the last five minutes. <laughs> uh, we better go to break because I yeah. want to make sure we have leave enough time for uh, Ian T- uh, Taves, who will be joining us in just a minute to talk about bugs on the menu. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or on the podcast, our wonderful and very appreciated community partners all the way across the country, including as well, rabble.ca and others. You can check our website for more information about all that, which is greenmajority.ca. Alex Ricci, please join us and tell us what our music break will be. And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. It is Friday, October the 7th, as we're recording this, uh, which I've decided to make a more of a point of saying because so much of our news is uh, it's time delayed. I think sometimes people might hear us being like, what was going to happen tomorrow? And then it's, it happened three days ago. So this is being recorded on October the 7th, just so you know. Uh, we're going to now go to Ian Taves, who is a film di- uh, director who uh, works with uh, 291 Films. Uh, frequently, his films are appearing on the CBC and uh, as well as a variety of other uh, platforms as well. And it has been our pleasure to speak to him before, and it is even more my pleasure to welcome him back to the program now. Are you there, Ian? Hi. Hi, Darren. Yes, I am. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, particularly on this topic, which is actually one of very much of interest of mine, but we almost never get to. Um, there's so many exciting things going on in politics that I'm uh, that I'm glad that you contacted uh, us to talk about this film. It gave me a really good excuse to not talk about politics for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> so this has come up before. I've uh, uh, Stefan and I were just chatting that we've actually had some bug sampling done around uh, the Center for Social Innovation, where we both actually work. Uh, but I, I haven't sort of touched base with where the industry is right now. So it is my pleasure to ask you to tell us a little bit about that. So I thought where we would start is let's start with the nutritional angle. Let's start with uh, what people are eating, why people are eating them, what is the actual reason why this is a thing, and then we'll get into some of the you know business and economic stuff a little bit later. So let's start with that. Why would somebody eat bugs? Well, for a variety of reasons. I think um, in North America we're finding that Bugs are kind of catching on, um, mostly because uh, people that are conscious about their food, people that are locavores or, or gourmands, or people that are uh, interested in you know ethical food or uh, you know um, uh, organic food, those kinds of things, they're attracted to crickets and uh, mealworms, and these are mostly the uh, North American products that we find. They're attracted to them because uh, because they kind of click all the, or tick all the boxes, right? Like crickets can be grown on a mass scale and they don't use a lot of water. They don't use a lot of feed. They don't use a lot of, um, you know, sort of infrastructure resources. Uh, so that attracts a lot of people. Um, they're also extremely healthy. They've got, uh, they're, you know, they're kind of packed with protein and B12s and amino acids and, 
and a whole variety of trace minerals and and uh, so they kind of they're a really great food and in some ways uh, I mean they're in terms of an agricultural product they're they're they kind of outperform any of the traditional proteins uh, at least in the animal varieties uh, you know pigs or chickens or or cows and in terms of a general food they're they're um, the word superfood is starting to be uh, knocked around when we talk about insects because they're just so full of everything and they're uh, you know easily digestible and so on. So where do you begin? <laughs> that's that's the thumbnail sketch of them anyway. Yeah. So the, the, there's a couple of really interesting points. One of them, uh, as you were saying, was the nutritional uh, component. Uh, and of course, I think when when people say that, you know, there's there's lots of things that are good for you. And the in the adage, which I'm I'm very thankful that at least it's been my opinion anyway that has been going away that you know good, things that are good for you don't taste good. That's uh, that was I think a very old idea, and I, I think people are sort of getting over that. But I think there is a obviously, and you talk about this quite a bit in the film, which I had the pleasure of watching about an, two hours ago. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, so it's very fresh in my mind. And what was talked about quite a bit was uh, quite a bit of emphasis on the sort of uh, psychology of it, right? So uh, there's a lot of – we could talk about pen and paper, and we will. We'll get back to a whole bunch of the sort of pen and paper stuff about the, the water usage advantages and the the, uh, the infrastructure efficiency and all sorts of other arguments. But the first thing that hits people, so let's sort of deal with it right away, is, yeah, okay, it might be good for me, but it's gross. What What is the, uh, what is the, uh, the folks who are trying to sell these products' response to that, and how is that changing? Yeah, I think uh, one of the people, if I can quote her correctly, uh, one of the people in the film, Laura Dar, so I can't say her last name properly, sorry, Laura, uh, she has a product called Chirps, and it's kind of a nacho chip, it's kind of a snack food. But she says that, right in the film, she says that, you know, the flavors of insects are as varied as, as any other meat is to chicken, as, as beef is to chicken. There's so much flavor variety, texture variety, uh, you know, a, a kind of overall gastronomic kind of performance, if you will, that, that you can get out of any kind of different insect that it's, it's so, uh, it's, it really, you, you know, making a generalization is just utterly uh, pointless at this point because there's just so much you can do with insects. A lot of what happens in North America is, uh, crickets are, are, uh, sold whole and processed, um, into foods that way or they get uh, converted into kind of a powder which is sometimes called flour, although it doesn't really behave quite like a flour. It's more like a powder. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's one of the main uses of it here in North America. So I guess if you had to make a generalization, uh, you know, quite a few things are made with with powder. But even that, within that, we, we show on our website, bugsonthemenu.com, that you can uh, take that powder and do a variety of things with it. We uh, On our website, we uh, challenge six six chefs in Victoria to make uh, a variety of uh, delicious dishes. And I mean, there was such such an arrange, uh, such a range of things that they made. They made a beautiful pasta. They made a uh, kind of wild meat terrine, sort of a pate type dish. Mm-hmm. They made, uh, you know, kind of sweets. Uh, they fortified a veggie burger with uh, cricket powder and whole mealworms. So there's just so much you can do with it. Um, it's just you know if you're an ex- if you if you like to tinker with food and cook and experiment with food, uh, the sky's the limit I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we like I said well, our website helps give you some examples of things you can do. We have I think 18 videos on there showing what the chefs did, plus uh, an associated amount of uh, recipes that help you um, get there get there yourself. So still wearing my uh, just sort of theoretical skeptic hat, say, okay, all right, so it's good for me, and uh, maybe they'll grind it up, maybe they'll put it with some some garlic and stuff, so oh, all right, maybe maybe I'll give this a, this a try, but, you know, sort of maybe still, uh, as far as that part of the argument, okay, well, now this is sort of a, a novelty. What's the actual, like, push for why this is such a thing, as opposed to just a novel product around, 
the actual efficiency of this food stuff versus others. So things like uh, infrastructure, things like water consumption versus alternate proteins. Uh, what is the argument there? Yeah, I, I guess you're asking if, if, if you're a conscientious uh, consumer of food, then then it's a pretty strong argument because, you know, the amount of water consumption associated with pretty much any protein we eat is, is, is pretty spectacular. Uh, whereas if, you, if you're talking about crickets, which is the example that comes up a lot in the North American context, uh, it's, it's quite the opposite. The amount of con- water consumption is, is almost next to nothing. Uh, can I throw you some statistics? Are Please. we ready for that? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're ready. Go for it. So, so some of the numbers that we have uh, in terms of crickets, uh, the water consumption per pound of crickets, Bearing amount of powder crickets is whole crickets. To get that into protein, uh, crickets are around 40% to 60% protein by weight. So a pound of crickets, imagine you know, a little basket full of crickets, which would probably, I mean, geez, off the top of my head, that's probably a couple hundred crickets. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so a pound of crickets, takes about a, it takes about a gallon of water to get you those crickets, and it takes about seven weeks. If you wanted a pound of chicken, it would take 800 gallons of water. If you wanted a pound of, of uh, pork, 1,600 gallons. And if you're into cattle, more or less around 2,000 gallons. That could be a little less if you have uh, free-ranging cattle, but it's, uh, it's in the 2,000-gallon range. So just the water consumption alone, if you're conscious of water, water usage in the food that you eat or, or the food or the, any, any other way, I mean, it's just amazing. The amount of feed conversion. Now, when, when agricultural producers talk about making whatever product they're making, particularly in the meats, chickens or hogs, cows, they talk about uh, feed conversion, how much food goes in to get you, uh, you know, a pound out, for instance. So the ratio with crickets is about, you know, one pound of feed gets you one pound of crickets. Chickens, it's around, say, two and a half to three pounds gets you one pound of chickens. Hogs, it's around seven and a half. Cows, it's around ten to one. So once again, it kind of blows them all away in terms of the inputs. Um, that you have to put in. Also, you can raise crickets, you know, in in vertically stacked uh, horizontal, uh, vertically stacked indoor buildings. Um, you know, they 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 turn around from from egg to harvestable uh, product in like seven weeks, right? So there's just so many other efficiencies that are built in that way. They create their own heat because they uh, they you know they're buzzing of their wings or whatever. So they I mean, you don't have to heat these buildings particularly a little bit, but depending on the climate you're in. So there's just so many efficiencies that that from a purely agricultural product perspective, they, they're amazing. <laughs> so that's also what we found in the film. That was what was attracting everybody. Um, you know, as we speak, there, there are a number of venture capitalists who've invested in cricket, uh, cricket barns in North America uh, and, and different cricket-based products in North America. Uh, one of them is uh, Mark Cuban. He's an American... Uh, billionaire, millionaire, I guess. Uh, he's the owner of an NBA basketball team. He was an investor in uh, one of the bars. Uh, the bar is called Chapool, and he he saw it on Shark Tank. He was one of the Shark Tank shark guys, and uh, Pat Crowley from Chapool came in with this idea uh, you know, of pitching his, uh, his cricket-based protein bar, and uh, you know, told them some of the numbers I'm telling you right now, and that it immediately clinched it for him right there on the air. He he said yes, and now um, Cuban's an investor. Meanwhile, there's another bar being made in New York City called Exo uh, by some young guys. Not much different, really, than the Chapel Bar. Uh, and they're, they're, they just announced a few, well, probably a few months ago now, I think, uh, something like it's either 3 or $5 million in money from Wall Street investors to expand their uh, business as well. So, I, I mean, if, if the venture capitalists are throwing money at 
these kinds of things because they see the numbers, and I mean that's a pretty good indicator as well that, that <laughs> the numbers are sound. Yeah, so as, it's, and it's as much a matter as, of time. As much as we uh, make a general theme of sort of you know uh, com- com- anywhere from complaining to uh, to uh, outright uh, yelling at uh, folks like you know the 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 moneyed powers that be, things like Wall Street, whatever, for the the, the corruption and evil that they uh, mm-hmm. tend to propagate, they are a sort of mark of the establishment, and so it is it is a significant. Um, uh, thing to note that these type of investments are being made from these types of sources because that means that it really is breaking out of the sort of like niche interest market and that you know people whose only motivation is money uh, think it's a good deal and if they think it's a good deal then I think the rest of us should should take note. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of venture capitalists per se, but they're definitely indicators of something. It's mm-hmm. kind of the follow the money adage, right? If, <laughs> yeah. If that's where the money's going, then there must be some some logic to it, at least uh, that way. So we've just got a, a couple of minutes left, Ian. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Ian Taves, who's the director of Bugs on the Menu. And I, I want to sort of uh, finish with that where we started heading there a little bit, which is the uh, the economics of it. So you were talking a little bit about venture capital, a little bit about uh, big buy-in. Uh, but as much as it's been a, a thing where, as, as I said, you know, you're seeing more and more that this is coming up, but you hear the odd you know CBC uh, interview with uh, a chef or something like that. So we're starting to see it in the mainstream uh, sort of uh, entertainment and, and a little bit in the news sort of here and there. Um, but what I'm really interested in is sort of that, uh, that, that uh, the sort of the breaking of the dam, if you will, which would be something like a major retailer making a, making a big investment. And there's touch on that a little bit in the film about uh, some sort of smaller scale uh, fast food type restaurants being interested. Um, do you, how far out and what form do you think it will take? Is there, is there anybody to your knowledge that sort of, you know, are we about to see this on the McDonald's menu next week? And, and, and if, if there isn't anything like that about to happen, how much longer do you think it would be uh, before this sort of, that sort of big push that sort of the real maturity of this market? Well, it's, it's actually happening as we speak. What we see, what you might've uh, saw in the film, although it's a very brief scene was a, um, a franchise burger restaurant in the Pacific Northwest of the U S called Wayback Burger. And I think Wayback has, you know, a couple hundred burger joints uh, scattered around uh, Washington and Oregon, I think Northern California. Well, they had a cricket, uh, a cricket-based milkshake on their uh, on their menu, and they sold you know tens of thousands of them, with without much fanfare and without you know anybody getting that excited about them. So we filmed that. That was kind of interesting. But the other thing um, to report, which is still in the early stages, and I can't give you too many details, but. But Entomo Farms, as mentioned in the film, uh, who are the largest producers in North America now of insect uh, food for in, for human consumption, they um, are in talks with a with a major major grocery chain at this point, and they haven't uh, disclosed anything yet. But they were in talks deciding, you know, whether or not we'll see crickets, uh, you know, on grocery store shelves at some point. Uh, I would also report that since we started making the film about three years ago to this point now. I've seen this is anecdotal, of course, but I've seen an increase in um, the presence of the two um, protein bars that I mentioned, uh, both the Exo Bar and the Chapel Bar. I've seen them in, in pretty much every health food store now. Like they, they used to be just kind of scattered around in the odd place, but they're everywhere. Mm. So um, that, that that's anecdotal. It, it seems like they're just kind of it's proliferating everywhere. Uh, so if you keep an eye on our website, um, we'll we'll announce things like that when we hear them. We do a lot of tweeting and, and social media stuff about about the industry because you know in the making of the film we found as well that in a sense we're converted we believe strongly in this as well and the people that are uh, involved in insects as food or entomophagies it's called uh, talk a lot about the movement and the movement is to get people 
into insects and into eating them. And uh, we feel like we want to be part of that solution as well with the film. Well, so we and, keep uh, talking about it and spreading the word. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say, I, yeah, I'll, I'll have to confess to being included in the not quite there with the whole uh, insect thing, but uh, <laughs> I would certainly, and it, it's really not, it's not even a bug thing. I don't, I don't like eating whole fish either. I prefer the nice fish fillet. So it's more about, it's more about a culinary uh, preference, I think, than a, than a sort of icky aversion. Uh, but I'll be looking out for any of those uh, flowers or candy bars or any of that sort of stuff. I think the, uh, the nutritional argument alone is, is worth it uh, when you add in the environmental arguments and everything else uh you know if you just have to grind it up so i don't doesn't see the little legs then sure count me in uh so i think <laughs> that's great uh you know unfortunately we are out of time but i want to make sure that you have an opportunity to let people know where they can catch the film uh where they can, can they get more information how do they sign up for updates all that stuff for sure so it's on documentary channel this tuesday october 11th at 9 p.m eastern time uh across the country so 9 p.m toronto time anyway um we also have a website called bugsonthemenu.com, and in the Bugs on the Menu website, there's a, it's a parallaxing site. It also uh, makes a pretty good case in a very kind of light and easy way about why you can eat insects and how and so on, plus the 18 videos that I alluded to and recipes. So if you, if you peruse that website, you'll get a little bit more information uh, from there in a fun way. Um, what else can I tell you? It's uh, traveling a bit on the film festival circuit the next the next festival is uh, called the Devour Food Festival in Brunswick or Nova Scotia. Boy, I, I can't remember exactly where it is. It's <laughs> so all that's on the one website. of the next ones. <laughs> yeah, it'll be posted on our website for sure. And we're on Twitter and and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and I'm I think it's just bugs on the menu. If you search those under under those uh, under Facebook or whatever, you'll find us that way. I don't know anything about social media. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you again. Ian Taves, the director of Bugs on the Menu. You can check that out on their website as well. Thank you so much for taking some time to speak to us. Thanks, Darren. It was a pleasure. All right. Have a great day. So now we're going to go back to uh, Alex Ricci, who's going to tell us what our second and final music break is. And when we come back... I'm going to uh, well. I'm not going to lay waste to Trudeau. I have some. <laughs> I have some thoughtful advice. It seems like he took my advice from last week. He might have been listening. So you're just trying again. <laughs> well, no. I just. I have a. Okay. Now that we're having a conversation with this fictional Trudeau who's listening to the Green Majority, uh, I have some advice for him. A little bit more uh, measured, I think, in tone. Uh, I think many of our listeners will appreciate. Darren it, has opinions. Everybody. I have opinions. <laughs> I should get a radio show. Yeah. Uh, Alex, please tell us what we're going to listen to. Thanks, Darren. First, I'm going to tell you that when I was in San Francisco last year i tried chocolate and sea salt covered crickets and mealworms Ooh. they were delicious nice although i do i do think that a powdered form would be a little bit more appetizing for most people the the legs were a little bit weird to uh <laughs> to stick in your mouth yeah anyways I'm, I'm totally fine with the nutrition i'm just not really interested in carapace myself <laughs> yeah that's just me uh so we're gonna this is a this is a track that i found on the awesome music blog we Right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority. You can find us at greenmajority.ca as well as on our uh, podcast, which you can find on iTunes, rabble.ca. Uh, more coming soon. That's all I'm going to say for now because things are still being uh, detailed, but uh, expanding all the yes. time. Uh, kind of uh, like my arguments. 
<laughs> on the show. Always expanding. Stefan, you're going to tease a bunch of stuff, and then I'm going to go on my, my – well, I'm not even going to say rant. I'm going to go on my piece today, my your, segment. It's a segment. There you go. Yeah. Your, your measured discussion uh, or discourse. Uh, yeah, just a quick update on two uh, important things that are coming up. Coming up. Uh, the first is a Idle No More protest called Deeds Not Words. Uh, it's a call to action for Trudeau's sort of ongoing uh, – you know, says a bunch of nice things and then ignores uh, indigenous uh, – uh, demands in, in, in many, many different ways. Uh, so Idle No More is having a protest on October 10th in, uh, all across Canada. You can go to Idle No More to find out more about all the different places uh, and things that are happening. Uh, also, a secondary protest, because, you know, that's this what happens around this time of year, I guess. Uh, on the 24th, 350.org is organizing something called Climate 101, uh, which, again, is sort of is bringing up sort of what I said earlier today, which is that, you know, we're happy that the Canadian government is doing something, but maybe it should be doing what is actually necessary to prevent catastrophic climate change rather than just what sounds nice. So Don't give uh, away my segment, Stephen. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Deeds Not uh, – Deeds – not so words and deeds not words uh is this monday on uh, on monday the 10th and then uh the 24th we'll also see some more action uh and of course everything will be on the radio sh- on the on not on the radio show it's on the radio show right now it'll be on the website for more but darren uh what is what is your measured discourse for today <laughs> so i had uh i won't out them because i don't like to talk about people uh when they're not here uh so i won't say who it was but a friend of the show who's been on the show before uh was listening to last week's show when when i was here alone with uh rob Shirky. very yes. much enjoyed that show if you missed it go back listen to the podcast rob is always a great guest uh so that was a good show but i i had some sort of discussion with some somebody else who's who's been on the program a number of times about that discussion and and they were sort of they were making some counter arguments and and i'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time going through them but it was basically like you know the crux of it i think came down to was that you know i said and uh you know, I'm I'm well aware of and and will not back away from the fact that I was being slightly intentionally inflammatory there. Part of that was just frustration, uh, but part of that also is because I'm just trying to get people to, to. I'm just trying to underline the fact that what is being said does not match uh, reality. Now, the argument there that I laid down was that he's either Trudeau is either lying about his proposed plans, or, or that he's an idiot. Uh, the third option I was presented was that he's actually a genius ah. and it actually lined up very much along the lines with what something Rob said I think even Rob meant it mostly in jest uh, but the person I was speaking to I think put a little more credence in it not completely but a little more credence in the possibility that it was true that this was all part of a grand game of three dimensional chess hmm. And so here's my essentially my response to that argument, because I feel like a lot of people may have heard that or may may hear that at some point uh, and say, well, come on now, you're being a little bit over the top there. You need to, you know, you're maybe 40 percent right, but back it up. You know, you're you're overselling your point. So here I'm going to defend that point in taking into account the third. He's a genius option. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to skim through three things and, and I'm prepared enough this week that I had time to make notes, but not enough time to edit these notes. So I do. There's a chance I'm going to repeat myself here. One of them. I'm just going to skim through it real quick. I apologize in advance. Here we go. So. So if he's playing three-dimensional chess, it's, a, it's kind of with himself. Uh, the proposed plan isn't strong enough to do anything by the time the next election comes along, never mind the climate targets and where we need to be as far as climate's concerned. Uh, I'm thinking about that this commentary is about the politics and the optics of the politics. So by the time the next election comes along with the current plan, um, every other region that has implemented this, uh, especially within Canada, possibly everywhere in the world, but in most cases, it has been the evidence that a low price uh, starting out of the gate has minimal impact. 
and that uh, any of the real impact, even many of the benefits, so say the carbon, uh, the revenue neutral plan where you simply take that tax and feed it back into programs uh, is small enough that it doesn't make a huge impact. Now, it might make a real impact, but it's not an impact people feel. And I want to remind people that, uh, you know, wh what is the completely obvious uh playbook here, right? Because the parties largely, and I'm including liberals here, but I'm mostly speaking about the conservatives who are going to be the most reasonable likely challenger next time around, uh, you know, unless things significantly change, which is possible, yeah. um, is essentially that they're going to say, okay, well, so if you did this, you passed a tax and nobody likes the tax and look, it didn't do anything anyway. And that is an extremely effective strategy in our politics, because if there's not, if you if you say, okay, well, we can only have these uh, these climate uh, targets uh, if we agree to the pipelines, then what's going to happen? Well, the, 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 the pipelines aren't going to perform well because of the – regardless of what happens, right? Because the international uh, economy around oil, uh, Saudi Arabia is investing trillions to get off of oil. China, we're going to maybe talk about this in the bonus show, uh, has an extremely strong financial plan about the actual – how they're going to actually adjust their entire economy over the next number of years, not just put a price on carbon and hope the market works it out, but an actual financial plan to work through all this. This is the type of work that we actually need to do to actually get there. And so what it appears to be doing, even if he's supposedly brilliant, is, aha, here's the argument. Uh, I'm going to okay these pipelines. So we get all, look, I'm going to get all the votes from the right wing people, because look, I said yes to pipelines. Uh, but then they're not going to be possible because the climate policy is going to make them not possible. And then the companies will back out. And then look, good, I get credit from all the right wingers uh, for passing the pipelines. And I get credit from all the left wingers uh, for saying I'm going to do something about climate change, sort of doing something about climate change and the pipelines didn't go through. So I get everybody. Now everyone loves me. Sorry, Trudeau. I know you just woke up yesterday and decided that you know climate change was important, but that's not how politics in Canada works. The conservatives are going to say that you failed. It doesn't matter what the actual reality is. It's what the conservatives are going to say. And the conservatives are going to say you killed the oil industry and you put an unreasonable tax on Canadians. And unless you have really good benefits and not just look how good it makes us feel to be doing something about climate change, as much as that's going to work with a very, very small percentage of the country, it's not enough to keep you in power. And you're handing the concern with the weak ass policy and, you know, trying to make all these defenses around pipelines. You're you're in serious danger, in my opinion, of handing the next election to the to to a competing party and very likely the conservatives. Uh, that is, if they can, the conservatives can get their house in order by the time the next election comes around. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's an extremely legitimate concern. Point two is if the uh, yeah. So sorry, that actually included my point two in that. So that was the the if they both don't go through, you get blamed for both rather than getting. Uh, a credit for both. So he's being too soft. So point three is he's being too soft to make the case. If he was strong, he would be out there using his bully pulpit to slam opponents against the uh, the absolutely, you know, there's political rhetoric and then there's objective reality. Now, some people in politics love to reject objective reality, Brad Wall being one of them, who just dismisses objective reality. So what you do if you're strong is you go out there and you hold up the, this is this inarguable standard. Here's what the assignment says and everyone should be judged by this standard. And you go out and you slam them and say, great, what's your plan? And how does your plan meet this standard? And you pound their head, again, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> pound their head against the chalkboard with all this math on it and say, doesn't matter. How does it meet the plan? Doesn't matter. How does it meet the plan? You're going to sink Canada's economy. The entire world is moving away. You're dooming in Canada's economy. And you pound away and you pound away and you pound away and you pound away. 
That's how you do it. Now, you know why he's not doing it? Because his own plan doesn't meet that scientific standard, so he can't do that. If he was even stronger and had a plan that actually made the science, and you went out and you actually made the case that the only standard here is not what's popular, it's not what voters even want. What matters here is the science, and that is the standard by which everybody should be compared. That's strength. That's strength. Going out and trying to make everybody happy by doing everything halfway is not strength, it's weakness. So... Here's the fourth thing. Why they're making, only making an argument around the moral issue, and I think the moral issue is very important, but there's so much evidence that there's also better for the economy, and I've never hear them talk about this. They go out there playing defense about now, now we have to do this, and this is what's responsible, and this is leadership. Great, I agree, but you know it's an even stronger argument? We're going to tank our economy if we don't. And by the way, how would you like to make three to one on every dollar we invest in the oil industry? We get a dollar back. We invest a dollar in renewable energy. We get three dollars back. It's actually better by even a conservative only thing that matters is money politics, right? This is how you show strength. Here's the standard. Why are you dooming Canada's economy? Why do you want to shink our potential economy by three? Why would you accept one dollar instead of three dollars? And you pound away and you pound away and you pound away. That is strength. That is leadership. So by not doing that, you have some pipelines and weak targets. You can't make any of these arguments with a straight face. Even if, the, uh, even if you picked one of them, I think you would have, regardless of my opinions about them, I think you would have a better argument, which is, you know what, we're just going to go ahead with all these pipelines and we're going to put all of the, you know, we're going to uh, take, uh, we're going to regulate maybe the amount of profit that oil companies could make for it or whatever. But we're, yes, we're saying yes to all these pipelines because we're going to make an insane amount of money off it. And here's what we're going to use that money for. We're going to take a short-term loss to make a long-term game. And after 20 years, here's how much better progress we would be than a lukewarm price on carbon. Or maybe even addition to a price on carbon. You could go that way. You could even go the no price on carbon, but we're going to, uh, we're going to invest all these pipelines. Now, lots of people would hate it, but all those people already don't like you. And they already don't like – they're already extremely skeptical of your current plan. So you could just go full the other way. You know, have some courage. Do one. Or here's what I think is even better. You, you make a full case for the fact that renewable energy is better for our economy and that we're actually going to get more jobs and that you're, gonna re, you're actually going to transfer our economy. But the only thing I'm hearing is we have to do this because it's important, which is true. But it's, not, it's an insufficient argument as far as the politics of the Canadian electorate. That's, and that's the thing that we need to worry about because what I'm really worried about is that he's going to do a lukewarm job that's slightly ineffective. The next government will come in and pound him for, doing, for not getting either thing right, either completely going with oil and just promising to use the money for good stuff or completely saying, nope, we're done with this. We're going full strength the other way is that he won't have made enough progress by the next time an election comes up to, that he's just going to lose a completely uninformed, but we can't do anything about it battle with the PR of elections. Right. So I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned because I know that these policies, as they stand at least, and maybe they'll be improved, aren't good enough to solve the problem. And I'm concerned that by doing that, he's going to hand over our government to somebody who has no intention of doing anything about it next. If we get if we have bad progress with lukewarm climate progress, what do you think the chances are that we're going to get even stronger? No, they're, they're going to be thrown out of government for even stronger climate action. It's possible but I don't think you've been paying attention if you think that's for sure, a sure thing or even super lightly. I don't think you've been paying attention to politics in Canada if that's your, if that's your point. So here's my final thing and then we'll, we'll discuss. Is that trying to charm voters instead of making the case. 
he forgets he wasn't voted in because he wasn't you know our dear leader because people love him but because it was a reject he was the nicest uh, option as far as canadians thought uh, apparently uh, to reject harper but he's just putting window dressing on harper policies he does not going to gain from the right or the left and is possibly going to hand this all out the case he needs to be making which i will get into we don't have time on the show so i'm going to save this for the bonus show we got an email this week from a listener from saskatchewan and the listener said and i, I wasn't actually even clear from their email uh, whether they were sort of being polite but, you know, didn't agree with it. Like if they were someone who caught the radio and was like kind of like, who are these crazy hippies? Even They were being very polite. But you never know because sometimes people that disagree with us are polite. It happens. Uh, or if he was a listener that just really was curious. It wasn't clear from my initial email. So I did I did quite a, a lengthy job. As long as somebody's polite to me, I generally spend a fair bit of time replying to them. And I'm, I try to be really good about that. If you insult me, don't expect a reply or expect a sassy one. Um, but if you're nice, I, I will put in the time. And I wrote this guy like probably like a four or 500 word r- reply. I'm going to read the reply in the bonus show. But what it was about was, hey, what do you say? You know, I'm, you know, I, I'm concerned about climate change too. And I think it's real. And, you know, I try and buy ecological products in the store. But I live in the middle of this country. And I'm, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the activists' plan for throwing tens of thousands of oil workers under the bus? And I answered that question, and I will read my answer in its three-paragraph glory in the bonus show. But the point is, is, was that I was like, yeah, that's the thing. There is a plan for that. I have one. There are others. There are very good plans. The, the, the emailer seemed to very much appreciate my response and thought it was a pretty good response, apparently. But it's a, it's a case that is at my point for now, without, before I go to my letter, which will be in the bonus show, is that there, that has to be addressed. If you don't have an argument for, and here's how we're not going to leave tens of thousands of Canadians behind, it doesn't matter if the science is right. It doesn't matter if your voters like you or if you're popular or you, you do a lot of Instagramming. You will lose the next election if we simply put tens of thousands of oil workers out of uh, office, uh, out of the job. And we will, they will also lose if all he's got is lukewarm progress in two directions that makes everybody happy, everybody a little bit happy, and then super angry about everything else. Uh, I'm seriously concerned. I think this is great progress. And as I said earlier, uh, if we get more comments from McKenna, like the uh, uh, extremely appropriate amount of sarcasm and political showmanship or showpersonship, I should say, uh, to make the case, that's the sort of strength I like. I want more of that. Uh, but if you don't do that, there's a serious chance that this will all be for naught and we'll just be back to square one in three years and we don't have time for that. The other part of the bonus show is going to be a conversation uh, around sort of we've, – we've spent much of time sort of a, uh, this, this show talking about people who, uh, you know, who understand the science and we just don't think are doing enough. Uh, there's a couple news stories that, come, that came out this week uh, including the ludicrous attack on TELUS. I didn't think I would ever defend TELUS mobility on this show but I will in the bonus show. Oh, uh, and, then, and then I'll attack them for the same reason that'll be interesting <laughs> uh and and the rest of uh and the, a couple other story, news stories right now that are be- that are certain as that like there as much as we want to as much as we'd like to shift the conversation to to what is not people not doing enough there still is a percentage of people who are just so out to lunch uh and we're going to briefly cover a couple of those news stories i also want to throw out a happy birthday to my one and only brother dave hostetter who's turning 26 today happy birthday dave uh you know off, contributor of the show uh and uh, it's his birthday today and our cartoonist and our cartoonist exactly yeah. uh so uh, it is now i think time to close the show darren uh so i took the last time uh to, to do that so enjoy
Perfect. All right. So uh, for more for my interesting letter and for some good and bad about TELUS and a whole bunch of other stuff, even a little bit on racism possibly in Canada and First Nations story, uh, that will have to be in the bonus show. Go to green, dot, uh, greenmajority.ca for that. Other than that, folks, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's program. Have a good green week, and we'll see you all real soon. That's it for the regular program. We're going to be back in just a minute with uh, the reading of my letter uh, response that uh, I was pretty happy with. And we'd like to know your comments as well. You can do that. But the best way to make sure that I get a reply to you is if you're a member, because I always, without exception, reply to all member emails. So if you'd like to become a member and help support the show and help us get us out there, you can do that at greenmajority.ca or at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash greenmajority. All right, now we're in the bonus show. Welcome to the Green Majority Bonus Show for October seventh. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to start just by reading, and I will I promise it will only take a minute. But I was actually pretty happy with my response here, although I, again I didn't edit it. This was off the cuff, but as far as the content, I think this is pretty good. Uh, and then we're going to get to uh, uh, Stefan will walk us through. We'll have a brief comment uh, period. Of course, Alex is joining us here as well. Thank you, Alex. And uh, we'll have a brief comment on that if anyone feels like there's a comment to be had about it. And then we're going to move on to other news we didn't get to because it wasn't as important as the climate uh, deal and Paris talks and our interview. But there's other stuff that was interesting, uh, including ragging on a major company, which is always fun. Uh, so, I'm but without, about that right now. Without, without further ado. So basically somebody was emailing, and I'm not going to read their email exactly, but they were just basically saying, uh, you know, I have a quick question. When a company gets down or project campled, uh, what do the activists have to say about all the people who lose their jobs? Basically, that was what it was about. So here was my response. I'm going to read it verbatim. Again, without, it, there was no editing, so you know if it's not doesn't sound great. Apologies, but I think the content was worth going over because I was pretty happy with my response. And it's it's a it's a position I've been developing for quite some time. So this didn't sort of I didn't think this up on the spot. It was just a, a chance for me to put it on paper, something that's been in my head for a while. So this was I very much appreciated this question. Please send more. So hey blank, thanks for the question. This will be entirely up to local laws, etc. Of course, living in Canada, we do enjoy a somewhat moderate unemployment support compared to the rest of the world. However, with regards to my comments on the program, we, i.e. the host of the show, are not suggesting having the government simply shut down the projects and walk away, because aside from this being callous and un-Canadian, it's also political suicide for any party. While I can't speak for the average activist you may be referring to, we have on the show proposed a very specific plan, such that any worker having trouble with work due to a transition away from oil in Canada will be transferred directly to free job retraining that allow them to find work as soon as possible in the field of renewable energy, including a fast-tack process for financial support in the meantime. No serious person is proposing to simply shut down the oil and walk away but rather transition to a new economic reality that accounts for climate change and the incredible but rarely reported advancements in renewable energy. Uh, solar cost has reached parity with coal in several countries already. Uh, oil workers almost all have job skills that are not only hired, highly, highly desired by renewable energy, i.e. pipe welders, drillers, are all highly valuable in RE infrastructure as well and would require minimal retraining for an experienced oil worker. The demand for these jobs would start uh, would start by creating a huge investment in our own renewable energy infrastructure. So offer retraining and then create jobs by supporting the things that they're going to be retrained to do. For instance, oh, I don't know, the billions of dollars that we put into oil already, we put that into renewable energy, we take a little cut of that, we offer a job retraining program and some financial support, and bingo, bango, we have a new economy. I understand it's not that simple, but we're just talking about a shotgun answer here. 
so the huge demand for these jobs was started by creating a huge investment in our own renewable energy infrastructure, guaranteeing an immediate surge in demand for these exact type of workers and would allow over the long term for them to either A, stick with the industry, B, export their skills to the rest of the world as it ramps up RE as well and also needs skilled workers, three, time to transition comfortably to other sectors of employment. This proposal gives an easy transition for worker, adds, uh, workers, adds more to the economy than their existing jobs do. Several independent reports show that renewable energy is better for the economy, even as much as three to one for every dollar invested, and helps build a renewable and sustainable energy future for Canada. This is a legacy project of this generation. This is the legacy project that this generation should be having to build our future, not digging stubbornly into the past. Besides, whether we chance, uh, change policy or not, the age of, uh, age of oil is over soon. Should we be making long-term investments like heavy infrastructure in a dying economy or trying to catch the growing wave of the future? Politics and ideology aside, it's just a smarter plan. Even Saudi Arabia is investing billions of dollars and has a trillion-dollar fund set up to get off oil as soon as possible. And if they and they don't care about politics or ideology, they live in basically a dictatorship. The only thing they care about is money, and the writing has been on the wall for years. Hope that satisfies your curiosity, and thanks for listening. Uh, comments uh, at all, if any, on my email response, and then we'll move on. Uh, I'm just going to just once again throw a, a shout-out to Iron and Earth, uh, which is a company that actually works to do exactly what you were describing at the beginning of that. Uh, they're led by oil sands workers committed to incorporating more renewable energy, pro- energy products into our work scope. Uh, and so they're literally working for a, uh, you know, now – they, they, this is part of the transition. Obviously, they're they're, they're still a little more a little more pro oil sands probably than the, you know than most of our listeners would be. A, a lot of the, a lot of their work is like things like uh, putting solar panels on the oil mining infrastructure. Yes, but uh, still, but yeah, but it, but it, but it is, but it also includes training people for the renewable future. That's the piece of it that that is really uh, that you know that is really important. Because uh, for especially for that kind of concern, like if the concern is what are we doing? This is a solution to the concern. Let's train the people who are currently doing this that, that that currently have a lot of the skills. These are very highly skilled individuals. These are engineers. These are very very skilled individuals, uh, and they can do they can learn a second thing, uh, especially if it's very similar kind of work. Uh, so, they, like I guess part of it is, I guess what I'm saying is that some of the work you're saying that needs to get done is already happening. Yeah, and essentially my argument is, as far as the government is, why isn't the government, uh, instead of putting hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into this, we should be putting billions of dollars into supporting those types of programs, uh, and that they should be be advertising it, hey, we're not going to suck out you know tens of thousands of jobs and throw them all in the Lake Superior. This is actually part of a economy upgrading project, and this will increase and benefit our economy, and why are you against Canadian workers getting better work? That's how you attack. That's how you, that's how you become strong and convince Canadians that it's not only the moral thing to do, but the obvious right thing to do. Why would you do anything else? If you do anything else, you're crazy. You know, that, that's what makes me so frustrated because it, the, people are doing this. It does work, but it's not being advertised and it's not being done on a scale that matters. We, they need to act like this. They are changing the economy. And when people freak out, you say, look, here's all the benefits. It's going to be better for everyone. This is better for everyone to do this. And we're talking about dollars and cents here, not just the the feels, which are also important. Alex, um, I've heard you talk about this plan to uh, retrain oil workers, like since I started on the show. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been many months, and I I don't understand what the major roadblock is in politics to actually doing this. Like you can't be the only one that's ever thought of this plan, <laughs> and and why is why is it, 
even like on the fringes, why is it not being discussed more in politics and, and what's preventing this from actually starting to happen even in like the private sector more so like the, the company that you just discussed? Right. Uh, well, the, the, the short answer is right now the, the people who aren't um, – there's not enough support for, for renewable energy in Alberta. That's the current problem. There's no, or, or in the place where these people are. Uh, there's not enough projects uh, being you – know, as much as, as a scale is occurring, this is, is happening. This is literally happening. Uh, you know, there are – if you look at the numbers of people who are currently being trained, who, worked in, who are now working in renewables, it is occurring. Uh, but I think there's still the, – the large scale factor is that it, we're still – Canada still very slow moving and, and all energy projects are slow moving. The idea that you know, we need this massive energy infrastructure update but no one's investing in it. In a way that's really necessary, you know. Even in even in Ontario, after you know the, the how poorly mismanaged the, uh, the Good Energy Act ended up being, uh, very much hurt the possibility of how many people you know. The engineers actually came out to the government. It was like, you could do this correctly. This is how you'd have to do it. And here's the uh, the extra investment that was would be required. And they balked at the extra cost. Um, and so the the why it's not happening in part is there's not the the, the money from government to because it's because government because government runs most. Um, most power and in industry right now in in North America or sorry in Ontario at least and Canada generally uh, there just isn't enough investment in this in this and that's why it's it's just, if there was more money they'd do more but you know right now Ontario's is pretty happy spending its money refurbishing nuclear power plants rather than uh, rather than building new solar panels and so the money so that that's so there's no one doing that basically yeah and that's and that's personally why I'm so hard and on all these politicians and especially on Trudeau because like the thing is it's it's just it's just reality and I know that most people don't think that this is the case but I'm sorry you're wrong. Uh, politicians are not leaders. They're followers. They do things after it's politically expedient to do so. So, you know, they'll go out and say, you know, we should support women in the workplace or we should pay all this stuff. Uh, we shouldn't, you know, we should have laws protecting uh, LGBT individuals. We should do this. We should do that. They've done that after they've done a bunch of testing and found out that the majority of people or the majority of people that are likely going to be voting for them agree with it. And then they do it after the fact. Politicians are it's mutually exclusive with leadership. It's almost it's almost a it's almost a fact of their job that they can't be leaders. So the idea that their leaders are a joke. And so what I'm saying is, um, you know, grow a backbone and become a leader. Um, and go out and you know, like, well, no serious people are talking about this, so I can't get any votes because I'm going to seem like the outlier. Well, you're a serious person, I thought, right? So why don't you go out and make the case? And then when people challenge you and say you're wrong, you're the one with all the facts. You're the one with all the data, and you're the one that's right. And sure, if one minister went out and rogue did this, maybe they're going to lose their local election and their whatever, you know, riding or whatever. But if the prime minister takes this on and uses four years of bully pulpit to, to make every national headline story be about the fact that even if it's just the liberals are claiming this, you're going to force a conversation about, hey, hey, okay, well, what is the science? What are, what are the numbers? Do these numbers actually mine out? And sure, there's going to be your, you know, your Toronto Suns or whatever that do hack reporting and, and are going to say whatever they're going to say no matter what. But the majority of these people and the majority of the businesses and the majority of the serious people who, are, who do actually like follow this stuff and actually look into it are going to be like, yeah. And you know what you're also going to do? You're going to pave a way for all your other ministers that do supposedly, I'm told, really care about climate change and their hands are tied. You're going to provide cover for them to do it too. And then we have a whole national conversation about is this true or is this not true? And maybe that's a referendum you might lose. Um, but – then if that's what you're if that's and not you obviously Alex but you know to these politicians uh, saying well so what you're saying is you're a coward because you're not going to try because you're afraid you're going to lose 
well, fine. Thank you for admitting that and stop calling yourself a leader. Um, you're just a button pusher as far as I'm concerned. And if they don't like that, well, then stop acting like one. Right. Like it's, uh, you know, I see, I know I sound harsh and I know I, people accuse me of going over the top sometimes, but we don't have time for all this nonsense. Right. I don't have time for your political nonsense. If you think you're right, argue for it. And if you don't, then, then stop saying you're a leader and get out of the way for some people who actually do have the backbone and actually do have the, the information and the knowledge to make these arguments and let them make them. But right now, all they're doing is they're, fi- they're sucking all the oxygen out of the room so that we can't have these serious conversations. Because I guarantee you, most of them have heard of this. They just, they're too cowardly or they don't they'll think they're go elected or they're worried about their own political futures. And, uh, and I, if that's the case, then fine. But stop saying that you're, you, know, you have the moral imperative of Canada to do lukewarm nonsense when we, the serious people who have looked into this have a better idea and they're shouting at you and you're just pretend, you're, you just don't think that it will fly. You know, and that's what makes me so angry. That's where a lot of my like frustration comes from is because they do know about this stuff. They're just too cowardly to, to fight for it. And that makes me really angry because if they thought that I didn't believe it, fine. I just call them idiots. But the thing is, I think they do believe it. And I just think they don't have any backbone. The uh, I want to point out that <laughs> I'll stop now, Stefan. Uh, I was going to point out that Alex, uh, that Alex's job is to push buttons. He is. Yeah. The tech. <laughs> that's his job. But um, he's, he's not claiming to be an aerospace engineer. That's my point. Uh, that is fair. Uh, yet I would love to have an air. You, know, you can be an aerospace. Be, be whatever you want to be, Alex. Uh, okay, so moving on entirely uh, to two stories that I that just just annoy me. I think is really the only thing about this. Uh, the first, uh, I'll start with Telus because we sort of referenced it and I just tweeted about it because it's annoying and dumb. So, so after the pair, so after Justin Trudeau called for pressing carbon, uh, Telus, yes, the 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 phone company. Uh, tweeted out a, as a founding member of At Smart Prosperity, we support Justin Trudeau and Catherine Kennan putting a price on carbon. Great, really dull tweet. Like way to reach the minimum bar, like Trump going five minutes without insulting someone. Yeah, like it's you know it's like it's totally fine. Like yeah, like you know it's great. You know they they, they get they, a golf clap for that. Well, and they, you know and they and they linked to their own website about about what they're doing. Right, they're like they're this is this is a self promotion tweet about the sustainability work they're doing. Fantastic, uh, and then of course. Uh, the the uh, the 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 right wing decided that this was this was a horrendous thing for them to do, uh, and 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 then and, and they got a whole bunch of tweets about how unhappy people were leaving and tell us that because the, and like let's be real here, if if everyone reacted that to people telling them they were going to leave them in the way Telus did here, Rogers would have would be constantly just apologizing. <laughs> like, all Rogers' Twitter feed would be like, we're sorry, we're terrible, we're sorry, we're, I, I don't even know how we're still a company. Uh, it, and yet, yet, apparently, a, f- a little heat was enough for Telus to then backtrack and send out two tweets saying that our carbon pricing tweet late yesterday was, me- was not meant to be a partisan or political, but we know it appeared that way, and we're sorry. You know, it's not political unless you let the other people accept that it is. It's not partisan unless you let other people tell you that it is. Supporting a policy because it makes sense. Like, if they, if, if Tell us set out a tweet being like, hey, we really support. Well, here's a great example. Bell has an entire thing about how we need to talk about mental health more. It's unquestionably a self-promotion tweet. And it's unquestionably about how we should put more money into mental health. Uh, and it's all about... Uh, if, if, if a whole bunch of people were like, that's my tax money, how dare you? And Bell came out and was like, we understand, we didn't understand it's political. It's not political to, to, to have opinions about things that affect your business or don't affect – like, it's like you can – it's – Well, the, the, the most the, – I think the silliest thing about that, Stefan, is that they, they're not changing their – like the company still has a program. 
oh, it yeah, supports climate change okay. adaptation. They're just sorry for telling people that they do. Yeah, exactly. Which is even more cowardly. Yeah, exactly. Like they're not. You're, there's no way they come out of this. They, the second tweet is: We like we take your input seriously, and 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 your feedback will inform our sustainability policies and initiatives going forward. Which means theoretically, all they're saying in that second tweet is. Uh, we know we've had we've had policies that made sense. We're going to stop making sense because you got mad at us. We're sorry, yeah. or you're just going to ignore everyone, which is fine. But then just but the, the article posted seven tweets of people making completely stupid comments about oh, it. Yeah. And those oh, so, okay. So what? So I realize they probably only chose the seven to make the point. But okay, so let's say there were seven. Does that mean if nine of us tweet back at you saying we're not going to be t- tell us customers if you don't reinstate this policy and stand by it, uh, that they'll change it again? Like this is just this is this is utter cowardly this is utter lack of backbone well, and the number and it's, it's so much and so much of it is it, like to call this divisive which is a big attack on this is like oh everyone everyone's gonna cancel it's, it's the same thing as when do you remember when tim hortons got boycotted by the right wing for a while for something that they did like six months ago it didn't work it's like <laughs> like i don't know why companies ever take these things seriously like they're 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 you're, people aren't people want to the, the people who like, it's just – I just don't understand, Telus. I, I, I didn't think I'd have to talk about you ever on this show and I would like to never talk to you about you again. And like I, what's funny about it is like I don't know whether or not we give them credit for the fact that they are – that they uh, – that they, you know, at least tweeted out support or the fact – like I just – like maybe this – like I just don't understand I, and I feel sad. That's yeah. it. So we let, let us start never speaking about them again yes. now because we're at 16 minutes and I'd, I'd like to mention I don't want to give him any more air than he deserves but we'll quickly mention Matt Drudge and then yeah. why don't we just make a quick comment about the racist uh, First Nations post and we'll okay. call it there. Okay, so very quickly, Matt Drudge is an idiot, uh, which I'm sure <laughs> next, next uh, which I'm which I'm sure if he uh, you know if his followers find out he'd probably they'd probably threaten to kill me because that's what happens if you 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 know if you you know this like you know if Matt Drudge decided to attack Telus then fine Telus can back down, uh, but you know. This is basically Matt Drudge has decided that the hurricane that's about that that is current that has caused over 300 deaths in Haiti and is currently hitting and damaging Florida, which ev- which is, is perhaps one of the strongest storms that has ever hit Florida, uh, is overblown as a conspiracy theory for 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 for, uh, uh, for, for climate change. Tell you he's what. putting he's putting people's lives at risk by yeah. saying that this is a this is a hoax. Yeah. This isn't he's not claiming like, you know, that's like, we're not talking about like, you know, somebody now coming out and saying, well, 9-11 was a conspiracy. It was an inside job. OK, you're still almost certainly wrong. And you you don't have enough evidence to make that claim. And so you're wrong in the sense that you can't you don't have affirmative evidence. You know, you welcome to your opinion. But we're talking about a live disaster. Something's happening now. Yeah. There's somebody that could be listening, you know, who maybe who takes Matt Drudge seriously, who is like on their way out the door to flee from the surgery and go, oh, wait, Matt Drudge says it's not serious. And they might die and that blood will be on his hands. Yeah. And he doesn't care. And he's one of the most despicable human beings I can think like, of. Like move, move to like if he, if he is not going to sit exactly where that le- hurricane makes landfall to v- to confirm whether or not this is a hoax, I will not listen to him. Uh, another, anyways, uh, so that's it. So what's the other? What's the last story? So, so the up? last one was I just wanted to talk really about uh, you know how the the uh, I think it was worth mentioning the just. Uh, the the deep and utter uh, just sort of acceptance of casual racism against First Nations people in this country. We had a uh, a, a a person who works for a uh, 
uh, company, I'm just pulling it up here uh, as well, uh, is a company that's involved with the uh, Pacific Northwest LNG project, uh, who there was uh, an article uh, criticizing it, and his comment was, and I'm going to read it, and again, this is me reading someone else's comments. Uh, Speaking of First Nation, do you have any idea how much money the shareholders of this project have to pay to those people so that they can maintain their so-called lifestyle so that they can just lie there and do nothing but drink? Classy. Classy way to go, Khalid Bai. Uh, now, he's come out and apparently sincerely apologized. And even I, I think the uh, uh, people were absolutely right to point out that the wrong way to respond to this was people made a bunch of uh, very racist Chinese comments in return to him, which, of course, is congratulations for making yourself humanity you really you really make an argument for us to yeah. stop climate change uh, but the, and, and we really don't need to talk into we're not going to start a, a segment on the lng or whatever we've done that recently and we'll come back to it later but just sort of i just wanted to take a, just a quick minute to remind people you know meanwhile um and there was another story here, which we also won't have time to get to, but it was about uh, there's an a- aviation uh, thing that passed, which is actually pretty cool. They have some pretty adva- uh, pretty uh, good uh, targets uh, for reducing uh, airline. Of course, airline travel is reduce uh, is is significant compactor, and of course, there goes all those right wing arguments about well, you flew to that climate change conference. Well, now the planes are striving for zero emission, carbon neutral flights uh, within our lifespans. Uh, it may not happen, but the fact that they've picked that as a goal is great. Uh, there's a bunch of small nations which did not have to be part of the agreement who've done it anyway, and they're going to put themselves – these are small, not richer nations at all who are going to voluntarily be part of something that is going to put a damper on their economy. There's no way around it. Um, they're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And this is something I want to draw back to the First Nations issue because you know, the First Nations in this country are you know, obviously not every single one of them. There's not every single one of any person does anything. Uh, but largely as a, a, as a, a group of uh, citizens, um, First Nations people are disproportionately taking the weight for the fight on, on climate change. There's, there's really no arguing that. And this is the sort of you know, response that is so often get, which is that you know, First Nations groups are still one of the groups in this country, uh, I would say along with uh, uh, people from, uh, from Islamic backgrounds, uh, that it apparently is still perfectly okay to be insanely racist about to the point that his initial response to someone complaining about it was, what about that was racist? I shit you not. We're on the bon- oh, I almost apologize for saying that. We're on the bonus show. I can say shit. I shit you not. Somebody commented, like, told him he was racist, and his immediate response before somebody from his company probably contacted at him and says you better fix this or you're fired i'm assuming is what happened in the background his initial response was what about that what about that was racist so let's know let's keep that in mind the next time we're we're talking about uh you know first nations issues in this country that apparently it's still perfectly okay that to say horrible things about them uh that are uh insanely untrue to the degree that they're untrue and to the extent that they're right so is it of any background there's you know people who uh are lazy and drink a whole bunch from every race and background and the fact that you just decided to pin that on first nations people means that you're a fucking jackass and screw you there's my swearing for like three weeks. So we haven't sworn in a while, so I, I made it up. There we go. Uh, I'm done with that. Would you guys like to make final comments? I'm good. Also good. Okay. I think I, I, think I summed up all our thoughts very nicely there. Yeah, I'm getting some nods. Great. So thank you so much for listening to The Bonus Show. We really appreciate you listening and uh, enjoy the show. We'll be back next week. Take care.